Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we're especially honored to have you with us this morning. Um, I want to thank uh, Keith and Travis for not just the way they lead singing, but the songs you picked out today. I'm the only one that knows it, but those songs go perfectly with my lesson today. So, uh, so thanks. And I'll also remind you and encourage you, I hope you all can stay for the Bible Hour class. For adults, it's going to be right here in the auditorium. We're going to get a report from our India mission team. And I know that's going to be encouraging and uplifting. So plan on uh, staying for that uh, at, the, uh, at the Bible class hour. Maybe you heard the story about the three men who went deer hunting together. And they're walking across the field, and this huge buck runs across in front of them. All three guys get a shot at the animal, and sure enough, the animal goes down. And as they're walking up to this buck, they realize they got a problem. Which one of the three fired the kill shot? Well, a game warden comes along, and they tell the game warden their quandary, and he said, let me see if I can help you. And he examines the animal. And he said, one of you guys is a preacher, aren't you? He said, yeah, he is a preacher. How did you know that? And he said, well, preacher, it's your bullet that fired the kill shot. How could you possibly know that? Simple. It went in one ear and right out the other. <laughs> Last week we talked about a sermon preached in Acts chapter 2 by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost that did not go in one ear and right out the other for an awful lot of people in that crowd. We are studying through the book of Acts. And I told you when we began this study that we're going to move pretty quickly. This is now the third week that we're going to spend in the second chapter of Acts. But we are going to speed up here uh, pretty soon, I promise. But we've been talking quite a bit this year about being a witness. Every believer is a witness. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a witness for Jesus. So how did those believers back in century number one, how did they witness for Jesus? What did that, exactly did that look like? And what can we learn as believers in century 21 as we try to do the same thing? We mentioned last week, we talked about the beginning of the church. The writer Luke tells us about 3,000 people responded to Peter and the other apostles' message, repented and were baptized that day. We're going to see that that number actually is going to rise pretty quickly and pretty dramatically. How did these new Christians, how did these new believers, how did they do church? Because it's, it's new to all of them, right? I mean, we have a history with this thing we call church, but it was brand new back then. How did those individuals do church? How did they function? And what you'll see as we go through the book of Acts, really beginning in chapter 2, Luke, the writer, sort of pulls the curtain back a little bit. And he gives us a glimpse of how those men and how those women performed and functioned and lived in this community that, that we know as the church. What I want to do this morning is, is compare and contrast some of the things that we know they did and see if we can learn some lessons as we think and talk about doing life together in biblical community. And I want to use an example this morning. Martha and I live in the Plant City, Dover, Thanoda, Sassa area. And this is the entrance to some of my neighbors, uh, Stone Lake Ranch subdivision. Um, it's a gated community. 
I want to make a couple things really clear before I get started in this. I do not live in Stone Lake Ranch, okay? It is a beautiful subdivision, beautiful homes around Lake Sassa. I don't live there. In fact, those homes in my house have very little in common, actually. And I also want to be sure you understand, I'm not saying anything about or against gated communities, okay? Don't meet me in the lobby and say, what are you doing preaching against gated communities? I live in a gated community. I get that. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just using something that we're familiar with, something that we can relate to, and sort of make some points uh, as we think of this idea of community. Um, the people who live in a gated community, and you know this, people who live in a gated community, they're willing to pay a little extra for some amenities. They're willing to pay a little extra to have some, some things that, that they can enjoy. For instance, they might be willing to pay a little extra for a private security firm. That's people that, that keep their streets safe. Not the streets of the community at large. They don't patrol my street. They patrol those streets and keep them safe. People who live in a gated community are, are willing to pay extra for things like, you know, really nice playground for their children or tennis courts or swimming pools, those kind of things. It's not for the community at large. It's just for that community. My family can't go in and enjoy those things in that community. I have actually only been inside Stone Lake Ranch subdivision one time in my life, even though I have driven past it thousands of times, several times a week. I've only been inside one time. You know why? It's hard to get in. <laughs> you can't just drive up and say, I'd like to drive around your community for a while. When you drive up, there is a uh, guardhouse there, and there's a gate. When those guards come out, if you don't live in that community, do you think they say, boy, are we glad to see you? Welcome. Come on in. How can we make your stay here a little better? How can we help you, you know, enjoy your time here in our community? They do not say that. I tell you from experience, that's not what they say. You know what they say when you drive up? Who are you and what are you doing here? They want to know who you are. They want to see some identification that proves you're who you say you are. They want to know who you're going to see. How long are you going to be here? What's your business here? In fact, it's their job to keep people out of that community. That's their job. Now, I'm sure you see where I'm going with this as we start to compare and contrast um, a gated community with uh, a biblical community. Because the truth is that same gated community mindset can show up in churches. In fact, it often does. I saw a cartoon that showed a church surrounded by a fence with razor wire and signs all over the fence, no trespassing, keep out, Guard dog on duty, violators will be prosecuted, and it was signed, Little Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> now, we need to understand it's possible to have a gated community mindset even when there's no gates, and even when there's no fences. Listen, if you miss everything else I say today, don't miss this. God did not design His church to be a gated community. It was never God's intention for His church to be a place where just the protection and the safety and the comfort of all those people inside the community was focused on with absolutely no regards to anyone outside the community, anyone living outside the fence. 
The Lord's church has always been designed to be a blessing to others. The Lord's church is designed to bring the good news of salvation to everyone in the world. Let me share with you a couple of texts, both from the first part of the book of Acts, as we think about life in God's community in this first century church. And the first is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I told you it's going to take us a while to get through the second chapter. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. If you were part of our intergenerational drive on Wednesday nights at the end of last year, you know we tried to replicate that verse. It was a lot of fun. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then notice another section of Scripture a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. That was life in this biblically functioning community. And I think there's some lessons that we can learn from these first century believers. Let me share with you a couple characteristics of this community in the first century as we think about our community in the 21st century. And the first is this. This was a community marked by the term devotion. That word devotion is actually one of Luke's favorite words. He's going to use it several times in his writing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This was a community that was marked by devotion. That term literally means a binding promise. This is a group of people who were bound by promise to God. And this was a group of people also who were bound by promise to each other. Now, that's, that's a far cry from the way most communities today work, right? Now, you think back again, we'll use a gated community. In most gated communities, really most all of our communities, the commitment level is pretty low. You know, if something's going to benefit me, if it's going to help my family, if I can see some reason for me to get involved or be involved, that's fine. But if it's not going to help me personally, if I'm not going to get anything out of it, count me out. Devotion is a necessary part of building community. Okay, we're going to have a moment of honesty here just because I know how much you all love to do this, for me to ask you for a commitment and then you to raise your hand. I know you love it. So we're going to do it this morning. I want you to, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have ever, you woke up on a Sunday morning and you thought to yourself, just a fleeting thought, you didn't act on it, but you just thought it would be easier not to go to church today. 
I mean, you woke up Sunday and you thought, hmm, it's been a tough week. You know, I've dealt with some really difficult people. I am exhausted. The kids have been grouchy. It would be easier to stay in bed or have a nice, you know, leisurely breakfast, let the kids sleep in. How many of you have ever, it's ever just crossed your mind on a Sunday? It would be easier. Don't get all excited, but okay. It would be easier not to go to church today. Anybody, anybody raise your hand. Okay, yeah, you're thinking it right now, right? Yeah. But here's, here's the question I really want to ask. How many times have maybe that happened? You thought, you know, it would be easier not to go to church, but you come to church. And then something happens. And you really do experience Jesus here with your brothers and sisters. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's something that happens during worship. Maybe it's in a song that we sing. Um, Martha and I both get, got choked up this morning in the middle of one of the songs. Um, you know, maybe it's a conversation that you had in the parking lot. But you thought, you know what? I am so glad I was here. I would have hated to have missed that. And it would have been easier not to have been here, but boy, you know, you're driving home today and you think, I'm so glad I was here. Because I would have hated to have missed that. My point is, spiritual growth requires work. We get that. Building community requires work. It requires effort. It's easier not to build community than it is to build community. It takes work. So the question becomes, what is it that I'm devoted to? Because we're all devoted to something. What is it that I'm devoted to that's helping me be more like Jesus? And what is it that I'm devoted to that's helping me show people uh, the love of Jesus? This morning, are you devoted to Jesus? And this morning, are you devoted to this community of believers that we call the Lord's Church? And I'll ask you another question. Maybe it gets a little closer to home. In fact, Kevin sort of mentioned it in his, his comments today. Have you made the right promises to God? Now, we talk about God's promises to us all the time, don't we? But have you made the right promises to God? Or do you find yourself sort of running hot and cold? No, I'm in, I'm out, I'm involved, I'm committed, I'm, uh, you know, I'm too busy, can't be there. You know, I find it interesting when I hear people bragging about the fact that they don't, they're not committed to anything or anyone. And they wear it sort of like a badge of honor. I answer to no man. I'm my own boss. I do what I please, when I please. I'm going to tell you, it is not as attractive a lifestyle as they would have you believe. I think it's a valid question. Are you making the right promises to God? Are you making the right promises to His church and to His people? And do you think that maybe if I were to make the right promises that that would unfold into this life of blessings that are bigger and greater and deeper than I've ever experienced before? And God says yes. God says you're meant for more. There's more I have in store for you. Are you devoted? These Christians, these believers in, in Acts chapter 2, the first century, they were devoted. At a time when it wasn't easy to be devoted. Now I think we so often mistakenly think it's got to, it was easier back then. 
You know, life was simpler, simpler times, simpler people. It would have been much easier back then to be devoted and committed because, hey, my life is so crazy. Well, they, don't, they don't know what it was like. They wouldn't have known what it was like to have my life and my stress and, and, and my schedule. You know, making a life change is never easy. Being devoted to something always takes effort. It's never easy to commit, but again, when you weigh the price versus the payout, being devoted to God and being devoted to His church is a beautiful place to be. Are you devoted to the Lord and to His church? Let's take another look at uh, this aspect of community. Another point, and I think it really goes to the heart of the early church. It was a community marked by oneness. Acts 4.32, all the believers, and by the way, by this time, the, the believers are numbering in the thousands. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. This was a community that was marked by unity, by oneness, by harmony. This was a group of people who said, we are not going to tolerate divisiveness. We're not going to tolerate um, not getting along with each other, not listening to each other, not loving each other. Unresolved conflict, it's not going to happen here. Bitterness, resentment, conflicts, we're not going to stand for it. Unity is going to be a priority in this new community. People in this community had a deep sense of loyalty to each other. So much so, remember, this is brand new, so much so they said, you know how we're going to describe this thing? We're going to describe it as family. We're going to call each other brothers and sisters. Now, we're really used to that. Hey, Brother Tim. Hey, sir. You know, we're used to that. But they weren't used to that. This is how we're going to describe this new community. We're family. And we're going to be loyal to each other. And we're not going to attack and we're not going to critique our brothers and our sisters. In fact, we're not going to put up with someone else attacking and critiquing our brothers and our sisters. Now, in a gated community mindset, you know that's not the case at all. In fact, even if it's not a gated community, you might live beside somebody that you haven't spoken to in years. In fact, your next door neighbor might be somebody you really can't get along with. You might work in an office where, you know what, me and that person across the hall, we just, we just butt heads at every turn. So you just stay out of each other's way. But Jesus said, not in my church. Not in this community. Unity is a precious gift that we've got to take seriously. I'm sure most of you have probably heard about the guy who is stranded on the proverbial desert island. And he's living there all alone for years. And finally one day he's rescued. A, a boat comes and some sailors get off the boat. And he's ecstatic because he's finally being rescued. And he's showing them around his little island where he's lived all alone for years. And he's showing them the three huts that he had built. And they ask him, what's this hut right here? And he said, well, that's my house. That's where I live. That's my home. And they said, well, how about this second hut? And he said, well, I built that. That's my church. That's where I go to church every week. And they said, well, how about this third hut? And he said, oh... That's where I used to go to church. <laughs> you know, that story would be funny if it weren't so tragically true. Unity and oneness is God's gift to the church. 
Listen, I can't overstate this. God is jealous for unity. God is jealous for us to be one in heart and mind. It's always been God's dream since the beginning of time for mankind to be one in heart and mind. Let me, let me share with you some scripture about how important this is to the Lord. And I could share a lot, but I'll just share a few. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's a real letter written by Paul. Those are real words written to real difficult people. Read the book of Corinthians. Uh, those are difficult people that Paul's talking to. And he said, I want you to agree with one another. I don't want any divisions among you. And then the second letter he writes to him, 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And you can't just blow past verses like this when we're talking about community. And then finally, I've got Ephesians 4.3 up there. Paul writes to, to the Ephesians, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. It's going to take work. Do whatever it takes. Are you personally devoted to oneness in Jesus? Are you personally devoted to unity? Because it does not happen by accident. It takes effort. It takes work. Or do you find yourself maybe uh, sometimes speaking negatively about a brother or a sister or some third party? Or do you find yourself looking at someone with sort of judgmental uh, eyes and, and kind of a coldness towards them? Now, I want everyone to be forgiving to me. I want everyone to be gracious to me because I'm only human. I make mistakes. But then sometimes I find it hard to be forgiving and gracious to other people. Jesus says, not in my church. Not in my church. There's got to be a sense of oneness, and it's going to take work. And by the way, we all can agree on unity, right? Every one of us, are, we're all for unity. We just think everyone should unite around me. You know, we're all for unity if everyone agrees with my opinion. But I'm certainly not arrogant enough to believe that my opinion and my interpretation is always correct. No, Jesus died to give us the gift of oneness. He paid for that gift at a tremendous price. He not only desires unity, He not only expects it, He demands it. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. Jesus commands us to be of one mind and one spirit, one purpose. Um, and again, when we start to get a handle on that, you see these wonderful things manifesting in your life, blessings that you never even realized were, were possible before. Here's another thing you're going to see in this first biblical community. They had a sense of wonder and awe. Acts 2.43, everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And then a couple of verses later, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Notice what's happening there. There is a sense of joy that uh, surrounds this group of believers. Just because they're doing their life together. You know, they're living life together. Now, in a gated community, 
sociologists will tell you that the enemy is boredom. But in a biblical community, that's defined by joy and awe and wonder. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, am I really taking the time to notice and appreciate all the joy that God brings me and all the wonder and all the awe of what's around me? Not just in the big things, but even in the, the, the quiet God moments. Do you ever just stop and say, wow, God has been so good to me. God is so good. God is so good. We sang that this morning. My life, my family, my church family, my, 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 my blessings. I didn't deserve any of that. You didn't deserve any of that. Do you ever just stop and think, God is so good. And he's been so good to me. There should be a sense of awe and wonder in our biblical communities. We appreciate the sheer goodness of God. And then finally, the people in this new community, Acts chapter 2, they're devoted to the people who are outside that community. This community was marked by an outward focus. In fact, they became obsessed with ways they could invite people into their community. The last verse of Acts 2, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We always focus on the second half of that verse, but don't miss the first half of that verse. Enjoying the favor of all the people. They lived their lives in a way that brought joy to other people. Brought blessings to other people, benefits to others. And then Luke says, and God was adding to their number every day. God was adding to the church those who were being saved. Now, in a gated community, the gates are closed. It's hard to get into a gated community. In a biblical community, in a kingdom community, the gates are wide open. Remember when I first started making this comparison, I talked about those men and women, those guards that stood at the gates, those uh, kind of gatekeepers, and they grilled people about, uh, you know, why are you here, what do you want, because we really don't want you in here. <laughs> you know, the church has gatekeepers too. We have gatekeepers in the church. You know who they are? It's you. It's me. We're the gatekeepers by the way we live our lives, by the way we witness for Jesus, or the way we don't witness for Jesus, by our attitude and our compassion, or by our kind of stiff-arming people, our, our coldness of heart. You know, we're giving the impression, we're, 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 we're sending the signals, you're welcome here, or hmm, we can do without you here. We're the ones that are sort of giving that, uh, that message. But imagine for a minute, let me take you back to, to that gated community near my home. Imagine instead of those gates always being down, what if they were up all the time, 24 hours a day? And those guards who stand at the guardhouse, what instead of standing there and stopping people, they actually went out into the community at large and said, come to us, come visit us, come see us. we got great things going on here in Stone Lake Ranch. The gates are open. What if they were out on the street going, you know, directing traffic? You know, turn left here. Come visit us. 
That's what Jesus says his gatekeepers are to be about. Jesus says that this community, this, this church, he says it's, it's like a party. He calls it a banquet. It's a party. And he said, I want you, the people in this community, I want you to go on the highways and byways, and I want you to compel people to come join us. I want you to go bring people in, invite them, teach them. Let them know what we have to offer here in this great community. In fact, Jesus is going to use some interesting imagery when he talks about the church. He says, not only is the church accessible, not only is it open for everyone, but when the church is functioning correctly, when the church is hitting on all cylinders, when the church, the body, is following Jesus, the head, when the church is marching, Jesus says, nothing can stop her. And the imagery that he uses is actually a gate imagery. He talks about the gates of hell. And he's, Jesus is saying it's the gates of hell that want to barricade out the life and the love of God. It's hell that wants to keep God out of this community. And Jesus says, my church, my church will batter down the gates of hell. So we're to seek and we're to respond and we're to invite and we're to teach. Because Jesus says, hell is no match for my church. And that's the church that was established in Acts chapter 2. And that's the church that we get to be a part of. That's the church that we were added to when we're devoted to God, when we're devoted to the church, when we're devoted to each other. Nothing can stop the Lord's church. You know, I've said this before, we're sort of like snowflakes. One or two melts in your hand. Get enough of us together, we'll stop traffic. There is a power in unity. There is a power in this thing we call biblical community, church. Was the church important to those believers, those witnesses in the first century? Oh, it sure was. I hope that the same church is just as important to us in the 21st century. Let's close with a prayer. Father, you've blessed us in so many ways, but we thank you for the church. We thank you for the fact that it was purchased with the blood of Jesus. And uh, we're thankful for this group, Father, that calls uh, uh, Bay Area home. And Father, we pray that we never uh, slip into being the mindset of a gated community, that we can be a witness for Jesus, and that we can tell our, our story and our story becomes your story. And I pray, Father, that we can invite and teach and encourage as we share the good news of Jesus. It's in the name of Him that I pray. Amen. Amen. We've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. If there's something going on in your life that you just need the prayers of people who love you, um, maybe you want to share some really good news, uh, there'll be some people in the front of the auditorium here and we'll help you any way we can. I'll remind you that our prayer room is also open right after the close of uh, our worship time here this morning. Let's stand and sing.